Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. That's really our theme, a secret to spiritual endurance. Note there's three words in, you find it verse 17, verse 18, and then in chapter 5 and verse 1. But notice in verse 17, he talks about our light affliction, but it's for a moment, worketh for us a far exceeding, and here's our first time it's mentioned, eternal. Eternal weight of glory. Let's circle that word eternal. Come down to verse number 18, it's the last word of verse 18. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And then you look in chapter 5 and verse 1, and again, almost towards the last couple of words of verse 1, he talks about an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Three times in these verses, you've got a reference of eternal. Eternal is a quite an interesting word. It's one that we use so readily, uh, and, and actually I'd say so flippantly at times, the word eternal. For instance, you might would hear a new bride or a groom say to one another, I'm going to love you forever. By reference, I'm going to love you eternally. Well, I would second the commission of the heartfelt motive that would draw someone to say that. But the reality is you do not have the capacity. You're not going to live eternally. Therefore, you cannot love in that singular sense eternally either. Sometimes you might find someone in their youth, perhaps a teenager, and they might would say, I could sleep forever. Now, Snow White might have slept for a long time. But no, we won't physically really sleep forever. It's something of an impossibility in that realm. You might even find some husband, young man, so enamored with a meal that is put before them by the hands of someone that loved them dearly. Maybe it was spaghetti. And they would say of spaghetti, I could eat that every day for eternity. We use it kind of flippantly, don't we? Eternal. But only as one has a little age on them do they truly have any glimpse into the significance of what the word eternal truly means. Eternal, of course, extends into the future, yet in a sense it extends into the past. Even 10,000 years is not enough capacity to get, grab the grasp of understanding of what eternal truly means. And there have been times in life, especially difficult ones, that seem to have lasting effects so that we would say that it was an eternal amount of time. But even those times truly and gladly were not eternal. For believers, it's difficult to imagine being eternally faithful being eternally hopeful, especially not unlike as mentioned here in this chapter when we're faced about with the trials of life, when we're facing the hardships of ministry, and that was the context by which Paul would write. In verses 7 through 9, you could look at those for a moment. He, he talks in verse 8 about being troubled on every side. He talks about being uh, perplexed. He talks in verse number 9 about being persecuted. He talks about being cast down. You, you look at the cost of ministry for him. You look at the difficulties that occurred in his life. It's hard to consider eternal fidelity. It's hard to consider eternally hopeful. In the passages we read, he talks in verse number 6 of chapter 5, 
Therefore, we are always confident. That's really what he was. His heart so steadfast, he was eternally faithful, eternally hopeful towards the things of God despite the hardships. The Apostle Paul's life, no doubt, encompasses many of those difficulties. If we flip over and we were to look as we have in the past over in chapter 6 and verse 1 through 5 and over in chapter 11 verse 23 and following, he enumerates all of these great difficulties. How does someone labor with urgent, urgently? Labor eternally, you know. To labor eternally would mean eternal urgency. You ever had some urgency about your labors in life? Something you were so... Uh, something you deemed so necessary that you were going to move heaven and earth to get done and get done today. Urgency is a wonderful thing when getting things done, but can you imagine <coughs> trying to be eternally urgent? It would be a hard thing to consider. How about laboring faithfully? At the same task, over and over and over I remember for a number of years of my life, maybe, maybe a year or so, I worked at a, a, a plant and we were on the assembly line. And essentially every day, for eight to ten hours a day, for about 50 to 60 weeks, or 56 hours a week, I assembled these valves. When I was initially told what I would be doing, I was, I mean, I was like, this, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. But it wouldn't take me long that I realized you can get some muscle memory and you could not even pay attention to what you were doing. Everything just kind of goes and your mind can go in different ways. And I, it didn't take me long to realize how dangerous it is to use equipment when you're not really thinking about what you're doing. One day I then drove a drill bit right through my hand. I didn't feel it until it came out. Didn't even know what happened. I wasn't watching a bit what I was doing. To labor faithfully eternally? That's a challenge. You think about the Apostle Paul's ministry, you think about him laboring sacrificially. The sacrifices needed to labor. And some of you will be off work tomorrow and um, so a little break for you perhaps, but on a regular schedule you think about the sacrifices you make with regard to labor. You go to bed early. You rise early in the morning. You make all the preparations. Can you imagine doing that eternally? But that's these three words again. Eternal, eternal, eternal. You think about the robust labors. You, you might even think about just as a requirement here, all these labors being made for the believers that are at Corinth. Think about them growing with an eternal capacity. How do you grow? Well, you think about growing patiently, growing joyfully, growing peaceably. Eternity? We put time on everything. That's how we understand and that's how we move and have our being. But here Paul's emphasis rather is on eternal. How does one continue in a climate like the Apostle Paul that is underappreciated at time? One whose value is dismissed. One who resides in a hostile environment or in a hostile climate. There's one thing that is ultimately necessary, and it is the word endurance. 
if you're going to think about being faithful in the upcoming year, about the things of God, you're going to need to be able to embrace spiritual endurance. If you're going to be able to make the sacrifices necessary to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as we're commanded in 1 Peter chapter 3, or 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, and know how we might grow with patience and joy and grow with peaceableness in our heart, it's going to require us to have endurance. If I'm going to labor with urgency and labor with faithfulness and labor with sacrifice, once again is our word endurance. Endurance is key. Now you might look ahead, and I want to give you a couple of things quickly that are going to come next year in 2024. You can etch these down, and then come December the 31st of 2024, you revisit what I'm about to say, and you can check whether or not I'm right or wrong. I'm not going to prophesy to you, but a little bit. Let me give you some things most surely are going to happen next year. Next year, in 2024, you're going to have times of trouble and trials. They're going to occur next year. You say, preacher, well, I know that. Well, then you knew the same thing I know. Next year, 2024, you'll have some gains and you'll have some losses. There'll be some pluses and minuses that are going to happen next year. Next year, the Lord tarries is coming. You're going to have some joy. Yet you're also going to have some sorrow next year. There's going to be some victory that will come next year. And there's going to be some defeat. Of all these things, I am 100% biblically certain. You say, preacher, why would you say that? Because that's what the Bible says about our human experience. That just as soon as the sparks fly upward, so does trouble happen in the life of an individual. The days of a man born to woman are what? Short and full of trouble. Yes, I'm going to have some trials and troubles that are going to come next year. I'm going to have some joy. There's going to be a good God in heaven that gives me richly all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But coupled with any joy will also be times of sorrow. Times that aren't joyful. I'm going to have some times of victory next year. There'll be some accomplishments that will come my way. There'll be some diligence <coughs> that I have sowed that will be produced in fruit of accomplishment of life. That's not a hard thing to consider. But there's also, sadly, probably, if we'll analyze honestly our human nature and proclivities, there's going to be some defeat that we'll experience. And so if ever there's a time to consider spiritual endurance and its necessity and how we might obtain it in this life, that time is now. Notice the phrase there in the passage 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, For which cause we faint not. <clears throat> oh, how easy it is in the Christian life to consider a coming year and another year of labor and another year of difficulty and times of joy and times of sorrow and desire in our heart not to faint. To faint has the idea of being weary, just being exhausted. Paul uses it not only here in verse 16, but he uses it in chapter 4 and verse 1. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, he talks about be not weary in good works. For you shall reap if you faint not. 
The express command and desire of God in your life is for you and I to persevere through His mighty power and be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. God wants you and me to be a greater Christian in my faith and my desire to please Him in 2024 than I am and have been in 2023. Each year, God would have me be more conformed to Him than I was the year before. So how do we do this? How do we obtain some spiritual endurance in our life? Notice just a few things here. And we'll center it around this word eternal for a moment. Because really there's a great valuation. I'm going to have to decide now what I'm going to value the most in this life. And there's three comparisons made in verse 16, 17, and 18 that I'd like to highlight this morning that we might drive home and really grasp deeply in our heart and endurance will be had and victory will be obtained in this life. I'm going to have some spiritual endurance. I think number one, I've got to consider the spiritual man more than the physical man. Notice verse 16. He says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. What's your outward man? That's your body. That's how you're world conscious. Now, you're not truly just a person that is completely made up of just the body. No, you have a soul and spirit as well that allows you to be uh, connective and if you if I can put it this sense to make decisions and honestly as well as you think of the soul spirit one that relates to God but your body is how the world knows you it's how you're identified it's why every what is it five years you have to go here in Pennsylvania and get your driver's license renewed is that what it is every five years I think it is and you'll go there and they want to mark down every four or five years. They want to mark down what color your eyes are and how tall you are. And they want to update that picture in case there's been any changes. Why? Because how the world sees you is by this outward man. But notice what Paul says about your outward man. What does it do? Though our outward man perisheth. Now, when I think of something that's perished, I think of something that has died. Yet, as I see you and you see me, none of us are dead yet. But every one of us is dying. You're perishing. As you continue through the course of 2024, there's not a person in this room that will not get older. None of us in 2024 are going to get younger. Now, I suppose they might come up with a magic elixir that you could take a nice castor oil base elixir, I'd imagine it would be, and you'd take that and make you wish you were younger. But you're going to get older. With each passing decade that occurs, new illnesses occurs. Your outward entity, your body, is perishing daily. But notice the next the comparison made here in verse 16. Yet the inward man is what? renewed. Oh, there's a marvelous distinction between something that perishes and something that is renewed. If you write in your Bible, you write this word beside the word renewed. It's a good synonym, renovated. Your spiritual man 
is renewed. It's renovated. Here's the context that Paul is saying. How to have some secret endurance? Consider your spiritual man and your spiritual life more than you consider your physical man. That's a key component in spiritual endurance. The best you can do in this life for your outward man is to slow the rate that he's perishing. But the best that can be done with your spiritual man is every day he can wax stronger and stronger. That's what the verse is teaching you. Paul physically every day his outward man perisheth. Every day there's new ailments that occurs <coughs> not just because of the decisions that he had made but directly relating to the ministry that God gave him. Yet spiritually every day Paul was stronger. In fact, down to the very last day or days to his very life, though greater there was hardships upon his body to a greater amount every day, but his spiritual man continued to grow until its very end, until it was in the presence of Jesus Christ. You see, the physical man is decaying. Ecclesiastes, I believe chapter 12, gives a good picture in this. It talks about, really in, a, in descriptive language, it talks about uh, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And he goes on to talk about uh, when the sorrows of these life have not passed, etc. For one day is going to come today where your teeth do not work and your eyes do not work and, and your various senses have waned in their abilities. That now, Ecclesiastes, the writer writing to the young, now's the day most to use your time for Christ. I would submit to you that that's true even in this hour. If you're a person today with youth and vitality, you'll never have a greater opportunity of service of God right now. You'll never have a greater opportunity than you do now. So folks get the idea that they're going to go ahead and live their life and wait till they're about 100 years old and then they're going to serve God. You know what I like to say about that? It just ain't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. Why? Because your physical man is decaying every day. Let me say a second thing. The second thing about the physical man, it's decreasing constantly. It gets used up. It gets spent. You can't get more time. You can redeem the time. You cannot waste the time. But I don't know that anyone can really add time to the earthly clock. What you are investing your life in is what you are using your life up with. Your life is not an infinite resource. Ministry is what Paul spent his life on. Ergo, we could say God's work, ministry in that sense, used Paul up. He expended all of his physical abilities on the ministry. And if you go to the end of the book of Galatians, he talks about how he handpicked, wrote the epistle, the original epistle of Galatians. And he said, you see what large hand I've written unto you. Used him up. But listen, anything you do in this life is the expenditure of your resources. There are many that sports uses people up. Just used them all up. There are many that hobbies use them all up. 
consumes all the time that they have. The physical man perisheth. Yet, verse 16, the inward man is renewed day by day. The spiritual man is renovated. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 that he that is this inner man is strengthened by the Holy Ghost according to the riches of his grace. Might I submit to you that your inner man is only limited by the power that God has placed in himself? What he's saying, there's no limit to your spiritual man. You can be uh, the greatest Christian that your heart has set its affection upon. You can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God. And you have right now, if you are a child of God, every ounce of the Spirit of God that you could ever have. The question is not if you have enough of Him. The question is always if He has enough of you. Paul would go on in speaking about the spiritual man that in times of physical weakness, those were oftentimes that God used him greatest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, For when I am weak, then I become strong. See, the secret, the first element of the secret of spiritual endurance starts with considering the spiritual man more important than the physical man. Isaiah, I think of chapter 40 and verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this thing, God would give them strength and power. I think of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul would put it this way. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Too often when it relates to spiritual things, we determine whether or not we can do them by our physical actions. People will talk about ministry and you'll say, well, I could never do that. Well, your physical man maybe never could do that. In fact, I don't think that your physical man doing it would be such a great idea at all. We sometimes wonder, how could God ever use me? Friend, he's given you of his spirit. If you want to have spiritual endurance and you want to see God really work in your way in a mighty, mighty way in your life, you're going to have to value the spiritual man as more important than the physical man. Notice the second portion here in verse 17. Not only consider the spiritual man greater or more important than the physical man, but a second secret to spiritual endurance is found in verse 17. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice that phrase. <coughs> our light affliction. Now if you mark in your Bible, you circle that word affliction. And draw your line out to your margin and write down tribulation. If you were to do a word study on the word affliction, it's used three times in Matthew 24 where the Lord's talking about the tribulation of the end time. He calls it affliction in verse number 9, I think it is. In verse 21, he calls it uh, tribulation. And then later in 29, he calls it the great tribulation. So just to assume that he's not talking about affliction 
in a casual way. When Paul's talking about affliction, he's talking about great trials of life. Rather than the affliction being light in our estimation, he's saying his response and how he considered the great affliction of this life, he considered it light. We might look at that and we think of light affliction. I had a fellow, he's cutting a joke once and he sat down and I don't know what it was all about, but he showed up at, uh, at this eating engagement. It was a lunch and all this steak and all this out there. And, and he went and he ordered salad and water. Somebody questioned about him and he goes, oh, he goes, I just, uh, I've decided today's the day I'm going to start this diet. I think I'd arrange that differently, but nonetheless. And somebody said something about, you're not going to like it. He said, it's light affliction, it's light affliction. Well, Paul's not talking about that in this sense. We all know a little bit of light affliction in life. I'll be silly for a moment if you'll indulge me. You know, you have a light affliction, you might have to get up in the morning and turn the alarm off. That's a light affliction. In a couple of weeks, you've got the light affliction of having to shovel snow. I hope, I hope. I'm, I'm being very hopeful there's going to be snow in a couple of weeks. I said, preacher, I don't love to shovel snow. That's a light affliction, you know. It might be emptying a dishwasher that you'd consider something you dislike to do, but it's light affliction. Make no mistake, what Paul's talking about in affliction, he's not talking about the casual, silly things of life. It's the same word. He's saying that all of the trouble that has fallen out to him because of the cause of Christ, the trials and tribulations, the fact that he was stoned, the fact he was beaten with rods, the fact that he was shipwrecked, the fact that he spent multiple times a day and night in the deep, the fact, uh, despite the fact that he was in bonds and imprisoned, those are real severe afflictions. Paul said, I count them lightly. I think of Romans chapter 8. He said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in him. The word reckon wasn't a turn of a phrase that he's using. It wasn't a colloquial expression. He was accounting. He said, if I take all the grand sufferings of life and I tally them up as the debits against what is owed to me, and I look at the glory of the great God and what lies down the road, the glory of God and His plan for me in eternity future is far exceedingly a greater credit than the debits I have had. It's cost me very little in comparison to that which I shall one day gain. Don't think for a moment that he's just saying light affliction and he's talking about something silly and innocent. The word affliction there is Philipsis is the word, and it has the idea of the pressing. We spoke of this the other week. The pressing of the olive. Do you remember that? They have a giant press. They put the olives in there, and they would twist this thing, and these two stones would meet, and they would begin to extract all the fluid out of the olives. This is not an easy thing that Paul was saying, but because he had a greater concern for his spiritual man than for his physical man, that brings a second point that brought about spiritual endurance in his life, and it was this. The future glory was always greater in his estimation than the present trouble. Paul spoke often of his afflictions. In Philippians chapter 4, 
speaking to the church that's at Philippi, he said, you've communicated with my afflictions. In that very chapter, he talks about, I know how to be hungry and to suffer need. He knew financial need. He knew what it was like because of the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew what it was like to have less than he needed. And he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He knew what it was like to have things that he really didn't want and to want things that he could never really have. And why? Because he had been found faithful to be placed in the ministry. You know, I think for a moment of our Lord, somewhere we've come across this idea that God wants us to have everything that, I, that would possibly make our heart happy. So if my heart could only be happy with my brand new boat, then it's obviously God's will that I get that boat. Amen? That's how our mind works. But do you know, that's completely foreign to the Scriptures. Just because you want something really bad and you could derive a lot of joy for it is not the same thing as saying that it's the will of God. In fact, I've had recently a lot of hard trouble with this singular phrase in Scripture. It's bothered me quite a lot. I've preached it, and I've read it, and I understand what it means. The problem is it doesn't mean what I want it to mean. You ever have that problem? I'd like it a lot better if it meant what I wanted it to mean. But I know what it means. Therefore, having food and raiment, do you remember the next phrase? Let us be content. Do you realize that if you ask the Lord God what you really needed in life, it wouldn't include a lot of things that you and I would include in that list? I'm driving to church this morning thinking about this. I've been thinking a lot about this verse. That doesn't include cell phones. Have you thought about that? Now, I'm not being silly for a second, but I could look at cell phones and I could make a cogent argument that there's a level of necessity for cell phones. But that's not food, nor is it raiment. So drop that one to the side. I can make a very good argument on how a house is a necessity of life. Right? But the Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, and also transmitted through the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, both times there's a list given of what is absolute necessity for the human life, and both of them leave all houses. It's food and raiment. Matthew puts drink in there. It's assumed with the 1 Timothy list. Now I want to ask you, just don't raise your hand or anything. How many of you have more than what you need then by those lists? The reality is we got way more. But really when Paul speaks of his affliction, he was without shelter, at time without proper clothing, and at time without necessity of food. And he said... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
There's a man that had spiritual endurance. Why? Because future glory was more important than present trouble. We get wrapped up in how our things break. Man, that's so frustrating, isn't it? When you've labored and toiled. As a little kid, I'd, my, my granddads, both my granddads were mechanics. And my dad worked with my granddad, so he was mechanic. And then it skipped a generation. And I can spell mechanic, you know. But I can still remember holding a flashlight for my dad or grandpa or whatever. And they would be fussing about their tools. I don't know if, if you have ever had that experience. I remember one day I saw my dad break a wrench on a bolt. He had this thing extended and he was pulling and the thing broke in half. And I, I remember that thing just looping up in the air and hitting the hood of the car and bouncing around. And my dad picked it up. And he didn't swear or anything like that. So if that's what you're waiting for, you miss it. But he had to, and he threw it and he said, that's what you get for buying cheap tools, son. Don't ever buy cheap tools. And uh, I remember agreeing with him. And then realizing there's a big difference between cheap tools, dollar-wise, between cheap tools and not cheap tools. And so about five years ago, I, I made a, a brilliant determination in life that I want to start replacing some of my cheap tools with nicer tools. And there, some of them are still in the package five years later. Did I mention I'm not a mechanic? Did I ever say that? Your things break. How quick are we to lose our joy? when things don't go the way we want them to go. Paul said, I can do all things that Christ strengtheneth me. To the Philippian church, speaking of his afflictions, he said that there would be those that added affliction to his bonds. To the Thessalonian believers, he admonished them not to be moved by his afflictions. To the Ephesian church, he said, don't faint at my tribulations. Yet he references all of his tribulations as being light, that is transitory, that is easy. How contradictory to the human experience. <clears throat> we often want to see each of our troubles worse than it ever has been in the existence of human history. Why, if we're sick, it was the worst sickness than anybody could ever have. If a financial calamity is placed upon us, it's the greatest financial calamity of anybody that's ever lived. You ever notice that inward part of us? Somehow, with troubles, it gives us the right, the necessary excuse to be unfaithful. It gives us the opportunity to complain. It promotes within us the opportunity to seize upon disobedience to the commands of God's truth. Why? Because we've got affliction. And somehow afflictions, affliction is our reason for disobedience. Paul, rather looking at all the present sufferings, all the trials of life, and heralds to the beloved Timothy in 2 Timothy, if we suffer, we will reign with him. Yes, this is certainly a suffering for the cause of Christ. But all of the suffering in the cause of Christ must be seen as light in light of eternity. Why? Because listen, the suffering of this life, it's a light suffering. Why? Because it's temporary in nature. It won't always be this way. You got some trouble right now in your life? Some trials? Listen, one day it's going to pass. And I don't mean in heaven. I'm not talking a thousand years from now. There'll be a new trouble tomorrow that will arise. 
you know, you live long enough life, you have something terrible that occurs, and I'm not talking about moral, just casual difficulty of life, and how difficult and hard that was, let a few years pass and you get past that difficulty and some other difficulties arise and pass, you look back and you forget what year that first difficulty occurs. The trouble you're going through, it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. In fact, another thing about the afflictions of this life is it can be greatly used by God. I think of Matthew chapter 20. The disciples all worried about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And the Lord summarized it up by he that is least shall be first. And that ultimately all of the disciples, none of them were truly capable of being one that could truly be least because they couldn't go through the baptism that he would go through. And he was talking about his sufferings. God often uses sufferings to mold and to shape us. So when the sufferings come, thanks ought to be upon our lips. An opportunity for God to show himself strong to us. An opportunity for us to decrease and allow him to abound in every good work. Notice this word in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. What's the next word? Worketh. That's an interesting word. Often in the New Testament, when you come to the word work, it's ergo, and it means a task to be done. You might have heard of a chair which is ergonomically inclined. It is fashioned in such a way that you can get work done. You might talk about ergonomically fashioned handles on tools. You find these shovels, you know, that have the weird bend in them to help you. Uh, maybe you don't like that kind, but they help you shovel snow. That's ergonomics. It deals with a job to be done. Sometimes in the New Testament... <clears throat> the word for work has the idea with the, with the energy required to do the labor. But this work, this word, it rather deals with what is produced by work. God is producing something. He's producing a future glory in you. It's the byproduct. Paul's saying all the light affliction, it's a byproduct. It's a small thing that God is doing. He is fashioning for His glory. Therefore, you and I are to have spiritual endurance. Why? How? By valuing the spiritual man more than the physical man. By desiring the future glory more than the present trouble. And notice this third one in verse 18. By considering the eternal more than the temporary. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You want to know something about this temporal world you and I live in? Aside from your family and your friends, what is that thing in this life that you fancy the most? Maybe you're a hobbyist, you're an outdoorsman, maybe it's a rifle, maybe it's a, a fishing rod. Maybe it's tools. Maybe it's some apparatus in your house. What is that thing that you fancy most in life? You know what's going to pass away? 
You can take care of it. You should. You can treasure it. You can make sure that it's polished if you need, and you can make sure that it's cared for, and you can make sure all of this, you can even make sure that you give it to someone that's going to be an upright person and care for it to a certain degree after your demise. But one day, it's going to pass away. Truly, John put it this way in 1 John chapter 2, The world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. If we're going to have spiritual endurance, we must have a dynamically eternal focus. That's what's required in Scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, set your affections above. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Lord, in this very chapter, He talks about uh, that we shall be raised up. The Lord Jesus shall present us with you. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, for our conversation is in heaven, whence also we look for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So often the temporal things of this life, while noble in one respect, produce such difficulty towards spiritual endurance. Sometimes the temporal things of this life is what causes Christians to be unfaithful. I think about the legacy of Demas. If I was to ask you, Demas of the New Testament, what do you know about him? Almost everyone is going to talk about, well, he forsook Paul having loved this present evil world. He didn't forsake Paul because of the future glory. He didn't forsake Paul because he loved his spiritual man more than his physical man. He forsook God because of the allure of the temporal. Oh, be careful what you set your affections on. It may be noble. It may be wholesome in one regard. But never mind how easy it can become for that noble and wholesome thing to steer you from the path of what God would have you and cause you to fail in the matter of spiritual endurance. The temporal often produces unfaithfulness. The temporal can cause your heartache for it can't be saved forever. It passes away. You know, that's one thing Solomon had to deal with. Of all the wealth that he had gained of knowing whether whoever he's going to leave it to, are they going to be a wise man or a fool? There's an old saying, you can't rule from the grave. And by the way, the answer to the question, he left it to a fool. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, in all of his magnitude and intelligence, there's never been a man walk on terra firma that had greater wisdom than Solomon. He expanded a kingdom. He reinvigorated its economy in so much that stones were like silver in the days of Solomon. He built and attained and had houses and majesty and peace and wondrous treasures, but at the end of it he left it to a fool and his kingdom was destroyed. Yes, temporal things give you heartache. They're bound and determined to pass away. Temporal things can cause you to faint. What you're spending your life on is what you're using your life up with. 
Go on. Endeavor to have all the things in life. You'll never attain unto it. Many an individual will give themselves wholly year after year, month after month, decade after decade to pursue just a little bit more things here on earth only to weary themselves to its very end. I read a story this week about a fellow, Els was his name, E-L-W-E-S, Els. Wasn't his real name. Wasn't his real name, it was his taken name. I forget his real name, but he took that name that belonged to an uncle. And he and his uncle were considered in their day uh, two of the wealthiest misers in all of England. He, the younger of the two, was worth about the equivalent of about $40 million. <coughs> His uncle was worth today's money about $100 million. And the irony that together they spent less than about $1,000 a year on themselves. This younger one would be caught eating rotten pancakes rather than buying new things. But he is an extraordinarily wealthy man. He had a horse that was half dead, be the only horse that would take him anywhere because he wouldn't buy a new horse. His clothes were falling apart. Why? But he, he needed new ones, but he wouldn't buy them. Why? Didn't want to spend any money. It was so bad that in its day in London society, on multiple occasions, people would come by and press a coin into his hand, thinking he was a beggar, not recognizing he was one of the richest men in all of London. He's a true guy. The end of his death, end of his days when he died, his physician said, had the man spent a little bit of money on his health, he may have lived another 20 years. I find it so interesting, isn't it? The temporal cares of life constantly wearied this man. He wouldn't even seek medical help because they would charge him. The temporal over the eternal. The temporal can cause you to have a poor use of time. But oh, how greater it is to view eternity. It's greater. It beckons us to holiness. It beckons us to labor. It beckons us to a greater obedience. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must be worried about being accepted of Him. If we're to be accepted of Him, it means to be well pleased of Him. The secret to running well this life is not possessions or prominence or power. It's having a perspective on things eternal and all that they bring. It's the secret, really, to spiritual endurance. Let's stand to our feet. Father, Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us. And we might focus on these fantastic truths. Truly, the coming year, like the ones that have preceded it, We're going to need some spiritual endurance. Help us to evaluate our viewpoints that we might consider the spiritual man more than the physical. The future glory more than the present trial. 
and the eternal more than the temporal. Challenge us to these mighty thoughts. As the pianist plays, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. What's your perspective this morning? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're seeking in this life? What is it you're endeavoring to love the most? What is it that you're using your life up on? My friend, life will always be much shorter than you planned it. But only he that doth the will of God will abide forever. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.